back. Good to be back. Thank you. I know you were in good hands with uh, Father Bill the first Sunday I was gone and Father Ron last Sunday. And uh, it's good. It is good to be back. You had enjoyed both the weekends, but uh, I always love being here, being with you guys, worshiping. Let us remember the words of Psalm 118, 22 to 24. The same stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. On this day the Lord is, has acted. We will praise Him. We will rejoice and praise Him. Amen. Where, where is our comfort? Where is our comfort? As I looked through today's readings and prayed through them, uh, I began to see a common theme about the finality of this life, the certainty of death, and, thanks be to God, a firm faith in the resurrection for each and every one of us. From the reading in Job chapter 19, one that we hear often quoted in sermons and at funerals. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, at the last, He will stand upon the earth. After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold Him, and not another. My heart faints within me. We know that Job is probably the oldest of the scriptures. Uh, many scholars believe it was the, the first of the scriptures to be written. At the time it was written, the Greeks and pagans put a heavy emphasis on uh, the afterlife being a separation from the physical world. They believed it would be purely spiritual and they believed they recognize even in their paganism that humanity is has a predisposition to for evil and uh, recognize or they believe that the body itself was the problem and therefore uh, if there was going to be a paradise it would be a paradise without physical bodies but that's not Christianity that's not what the Jews believed it's not what the Hebrews recorded in the Old Testament as we just read from Job from the Psalm verse 15 says Psalm 17 verse 15 says as for me I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake I shall be satisfied with your likeness just before that it read that psalm says, Deliver me from those who think their portion is in this life. It's contrasting the futility of the pagans' uh, worldview that this life is all there is with the true faith in the Lord God Jehovah that uh, there will be an awakening. There is a an existence on the other side of the grave and it will involve 
the resurrection of our physical body. And that's yet another reason why we're to honor and respect our bodies and uh, recognize the sacredness of all life. From the New Testament reading, 2 Thessalonians in verse 15, it says, So then, brothers, so this is kind of wrapping up this second letter to the church in Thessalonica. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by letter. Interesting that... Uh, those who believe that it is sola scriptura, it is just the written word in which we can look for truth and the wisdom of God. Uh, I'm not sure what they do with that verse because the written word says to hold to the traditions that were spoken, to the verbal traditions. And that's why the church is always, although we as, uh, as Protestants hold to the primacy of the written word, that, it's, that, that all tradition has to uh, be in submission to the written word, we also look as Catholics, as part of the Holy Apostolic Catholic Church, we look to the wisdom and truth that's been passed down through the ages through tradition many places the scriptures does not speak and uh, one of those many places is what kind of structure is the church to have and so we have many different opinions on what church is supposed to how it's supposed to be structured and <clears throat> how it's to be governed and so we have to look to uh, both the leading of the Holy Spirit and to the tradition of the church as it's been handed down to us. All right, continuing on, it says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, so he's saying, may the Lord Jesus Christ, through grace, the one who has loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope, may he through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And... Uh, in verse 5 he said, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So in this passage we see as Paul was seemingly looking to kind of finalize his instruction to the church at Thessalonica, he, he reminded them of the importance of apostolic tradition and especially of the importance of grace and of community and of the hope that we have through the comfort that God comforts us with the love of Christ and the steadfastness of, of, of Christ. In the gospel reading today we see the Sadducees challenging Jesus and trying to <laughs> trap him 
uh, in his words and I'm once again failing twice in that chapter it, it mentions that uh, they would no longer question him so they were they came they were beginning to realize that he, he was wiser uh, than they were and they could not because he was speaking from truth they could not find any reason to condemn him so they had to make stuff up huh? uh, but in this particular example they gave this rather uh, preposterous scenario where uh, based upon the teachings and the tradition of the Old Testament uh, if, if, a, if a man died without having any children and he had brothers his, and his brother was to take his wife on and bear children so his line would be continued so they said if after passing this woman being married to seven different brothers and none of them ever having any children uh, whose wife would she be they were kind of poking fun of the idea of the resurrection uh, but Jesus responded to them that in in the resurrection we shall neither marry or give be given in marriage we will not die anymore because we will be equal to angels and sons of God being the sons of the resurrection we will be sons of the resurrection now he is not God of the dead but of the living for all live to him so I feel like the reading from Job and the gospel the two bookends of our scriptural readings today both are are very very clear affirmations of our hope and our belief in the resurrection of a physical body that God is a God of the living and not the dead the reading the the passage from Psalm 17 makes me think about what what is the one thing what is the most important what is that yearning that longing uh, the psalmist says, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So what is it that we what are, are not yet satisfied with that we can look forward to that, to that morning as it's refer, refer, referred to uh, that resurrection moment after our passing? And then the reading from the New Testament, Second Thessalonians, is uh, an important reminder of the apostolic tradition of grace and of community, and the reassurance of comfort, the comforting power, the comforting presence of God. We are sons and daughters of the resurrection. We are never to die again, but we are to live. Once we're resurrected, we will live in untarnished harmony with the Father. There will be no longer be any dissonance. We'll never be out of tune, praise the Lord. We will be living in perfect uh, submission to and agreement with His will, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as they have eternally coexisted, uh, always having been of the same mind and the same will as far as the furtherance of uh, the kingdom of God and the plan of salvation 
We will not be disembodied spirits. We will have a physical body. We will eat and drink and enjoy the goodness of God. Even now in this life we are given glimpses of God's intention as uh, we are from time to time blessed to be able to enjoy the goodness of God in a very physical way as we enjoy food and drink and many other uh, enjoyments of life. Job describes the, the anticipation that he can hardly contain after his affirmation of knowing that he will behold his Redeemer in his, with his eye and his flesh. He says, My heart faints within me. My heart faints within me as he considers that moment when he will behold the glory of God with his own eyes. He makes it unmistakably clear that he will experience life and a relationship with his Redeemer in his flesh, in his resurrected, redeemed, and glorified flesh. There will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin or evil. Each and every person will be fully alive, fully unique, not melded together in some kind of uh, 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 otherworldly new age, what's it called, pan, when everybody just blends into one. Consciousness. Uh, uh, one consciousness. One consciousness, there you go. Uh, it's not we won't just become one with the force we, uh, we will continue to be an individual a created son of God son of the resurrection daughter of the resurrection uh, with our own personality fully unique fully reflecting back to our creator the glory revealed by our individual existence and our relationship with him having been reconciled to God that is what we have to look forward to. Now we gaze upon the mar marvelous truths of Scripture that reveal the story of God. We recognize as, as we gaze upon the truths of the Scripture, we recognize more and more that our nature was twisted and distorted but thanks be to God, it's slowly being put to death as the Holy Spirit transforms us to be set free so that we can conform to the image of Christ. Romans 6 is just one place that uh, this idea is expounded upon by Paul. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So as we have, have been baptized into the baptism of Christ, into his death, 
we are resurrected as we the the image of baptism being immersed into the water and and then springing forth up out of the water in newness of life we have become unified with him in the likeness of his death certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that our old self was crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin can I get an amen for he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So, by grace, through grace, the collet that I prayed, prayed that we would purify ourselves. And I, I always want to take care uh, that we not fall into the trap that is so often uh, a problem that we think that there's some gigantic effort required on our part to purify ourselves but this prayer is based upon having this hope O oh God, whose blessed Son came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life. So <laughs> we are walking through this life experiencing, seeking to experience more and more newness of life more and more freedom from sin, from being a slave to sin, uh, more and more entering into that uh, work that was accomplished, that was finished by Christ on the cross, and seeking to walk into it more and experience it more, uh, realizing that we are powerless in our own selves to do that, but we have to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to do that in us and through us. So it's not about works. It's not about law. It's about grace. It's about hope and uh, the work of, of his faithfulness and his sufficiency. What are we yearning for? The... The verse from Psalm 17 says, When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. What is it that would satisfy us? 
what would bring us to that point of being completely satiated? What does occupy the majority of our thoughts when, when we're in neutral? When we have time to think, when we're not running full speed ahead, trying to keep up with life. In those quieter moments, in those moments of solitude and stillness, what do you long for? What's on your bucket list? Traveling to faraway places, greater luxury in this life, enjoying exquisite meals, being immersed into your favorite music, pampering yourself with a five-star spa with a steam sauna, dry sauna, massage, and hot tub. The psalmist said, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Now, not trying to contrast all these, this worldly things as being wrong or sinful in any way. Again, all of these things just gives us glimpses into the goodness and truth and beauty of God. And, as, and it's, it's the attitude and motives of our heart. If, if God grants that we're able to uh, travel to some faraway beautiful place to see more of his creation, may it produce more wonder and awe of his, of his power, of his, of his ability to create beauty of giving us the ability to enjoy the beauty, to recognize it, and to revel, to revel in it, to, to be in awe at it. Are we at a place where we can trust the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to, to care for us, to provide for us here in this life, a life that is free from want? A life that is not a slave to desire. A life that is experiencing fulfillment, maybe even glimpses of complete fulfillment. After the resurrection, I believe we will continue to have desires for exploration, for learning, for creating. For every other possible enjoyment God created us to that we, that we do see and understand and experience here in this life. The things as he designed them to be. Once resurrected in eternal life there will be no conflict. There will be no dualism. No, no battles within us as, uh, as that old fallen nature that selfish, defiant part of us that continues to long for things that are not in our best interest. All sin and sinful desires that we fight here in this world, in this world of shadows and darkness, are things or experiences that are not in our best interest. There are things that would bring us harm and will diminish the glory of God, and that is the reason why God instructs us to turn away, to pursue, to allow him to satisfy every desire and hunger that we have. 
I love that passage from Second Thessalonians because it reminds me, as it as Paul affirms the necessity of Scripture and tradition. It reminds me that we're not pioneers discovering some new spiritual truths. But in fact, we belong to an ancient apostolic tradition of belief and faith that's rooted in the belief that God, our Father, is a loving God. He is a good God. He is the perfect Father. He is the source of all truth and all beauty and all goodness. Our deliverance from the fallenness, the sinfulness of our humanity has been completed by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He paid the price for our redemption in full. Our salvation is a result of the grace of God, a free gift and not something that we have or ever will earn or deserve. It is the result of the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So then, how shall we live? What, what impact does the knowledge of the love of God and the faith in the eternal life that awaits us after our resurrection have upon our day-to-day -day life? How does the realization that God is not disappointed with us, but is in fact insanely in love with us, change how we live? 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. <clears throat> so the John that wrote this letter is expressing a, a very foundational part of how God created us. He's explaining why he why he cared, why he was called, why he, why he was being an apostle and a teacher and a pastor. He said that that we have seen and heard, we tell you about it too. We want you to know. We want you to enter in so that you too may have fellowship with us. It's that fellowship that we're created for, that we long for. That fellowship, indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ. And he, but he, he still longed to have the fellowship of those he was writing the letter to. The church, the believers, that everyone would believe, that everyone would partake, that everyone would be... joined together into one body in this in this life of experiencing the salvation of God. I recently realize that there's always been somewhere down inside of me a part of me that's never quite fully satisfied no matter how perfect a day might be 
even when Alabama wins. The reason is that in my most joyful and festive moments, there's always an awareness of someone who is missing. And I believe God, He puts that in us. He knows we're prone to wander. He knows we're prone to be selfish, men and women. But He created us with this longing and this desire that when we're finding life at its best, that we want to share it with others, especially those who are close to us. But... I know that only when everyone who I know, everyone who matters to me can be present and also experiencing the joy and celebration of the moment with me can my joy truly be complete. And I think that's what we will have fulfilled and satisfied on that morning of resurrection. And so, recognizing this we choose to live in such a way as to invite others into the kingdom, into the kingdom of the most benevolent and generous, generous king ever. The only king who is light and in whom is no darkness at all. To extol the virtues of such goodness and truth and beauty of our King, the King of kings and Lord of lords, so that no one would ever choose to miss out in the joy, so that the King's joy and our joy will be complete. The, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what joy? The joy of the morning of resurrection when we'll all be together, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And at the end of the third chapter that we read from today in 2 Thessalonians, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Let's uh, stand together and proclaim our common faith in the Nicene Creed, page 3.